Thanks for downloading this History Hub podcast. This podcast is brought to you in association with Globalizing the Rising, 1916 in Context, a major conference which will take place in University College Dublin on the 5th and 6th of February 2016. For more information, go to centenaries.ucd.ie. In this episode, a paper recorded at the Universities in Revolution and State Formation Conference, which took place in UCD Newman House on the 5th and 6th of June 2015. This project was funded by an Irish Research Council New Foundations Award and by a University College Dublin Decade of Centenaries Award. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. This episode features the keynote address by Dr. Renata Marciska of Universidad Nacional Autónoma de Mexico. Dr. Marciska's paper, Mexican Revolution, National University in the Formation of a Revolutionary State, Actors, Conflicts, University Autonomy, 1910-1929, was introduced by Dr. William Mulligan from UCD School of History. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure to welcome you here today uh, to the first uh, session and to introduce uh, Professor uh, Renata Moisiska. She's a leading expert on the history of student movements and the history of education uh, in Latin America, and she's a professor at the National Autonomous uh, University of Mexico. Uh, Now, I don't uh, trust my Spanish, uh, and I hardly trust uh, Google Translate, Uh, But when I was uh, looking at some of her work earlier, I came across a phrase about the foundation of the National University of Mexico in 1910, and she confirmed to me uh, this morning uh, that the university was uh, set up in September uh, 1910, uh, just prior to the outbreak of the Mexican Revolution. Uh, Mexico, uh, its political system had been in uh, some... Uh, upheaval uh, for a number of years uh, by 1910 uh, and in the uh, November, December of that year uh, the revolution started. In some ways, as Connor has uh, mentioned already, uh, the Mexican revolution has been unjustly neglected in global history. It stands as the first in a series of uh, momentous uh, revolutions that took place uh, over the following decade. Uh, 1911, uh, there's a revolution in China of course, 1917, uh, there's the revolution in Russia, uh, and of course, uh, our own revolution, r- revolutionary decade between 1912 and 1923, uh, as well as a host of other uh, revolutions uh, that encompass the First World War. In some ways, by uh, thinking about this not as a decade of the First World War, but as a decade of revolutions, we can relocate the First World War not as the central uh, driving motor uh, of history in this period, uh, but see the First World War as a part of a uh, a wider uh, revolutionary transformation of uh, global politics. Uh, so for that reason, I think it's entirely appropriate uh, that we start uh, with a paper on the uh, Mexican Revolution, uh, and it gives me a great pleasure to pass the floor to Professor Renata Moisiska. The name of my paper is Mexican Revolution National University and the formation of a revolutionary state, actors, conflicts, and university autonomy between 1910 and 1929. Mexico is a country so far away from Ireland, and Mexican problems today are seldom discussed in Ireland. The same applies for the discussion of Ireland's problems in Mexico. Most Mexicans only know one fact about Ireland. The former Mexican president, Carlos Salinas de Gautari, lived here in the 1990s 
for some years in order to get away from Mexico. <laughs> On the other hand, maybe you have seen all the stereotypes about Mexican Revolution in American movies, or you have heard about Frida Kahlo, Diego Rivera, and the assassination of Trotsky in Mexico in the 1920s. But in spite of all this, I think history links country, countries, people, and historians. Speaking about universities and revolution, we may find things in common between our countries. First of all, I want to thank the University College of Dublin and especially Connor for inviting, for inviting me to such an important event when we, uh, where we will discuss exactly the topics I have been working on about 20 years. Also, I, uh, I wanted to thank to the Mexican ambassador. Second, I want to apologize for not speaking English as well as I would like. However, I do not have much time for explaining all I want to say about university, revolution, and state-making in Mexico, so I prefer to read my paper and not speak freely. I, be I will begin with some very short notes about the history of Mexican and the Mexican university. First, the colonization of Mexican territory begins in 1519 with the arrival of Hernan Cortes to what will be the city of Veracruz and ended in 1810 with the independence of Mexico. Second, the 19th century was characterized by the struggle of an independent state, the separation of church and state, and the dictatorship of Porfirio Diaz between 1877 and 1910. Third, Mexico's first university was founded in 1534 by authorization of the Spanish king and the pope to give higher education <clears throat> to the sons of the conquerors in order to administer the colony later on or to form part of the different religious congregations because converting the native population of Mexico to Catholicism was one of the main goals of colonization. This university was the name of Real y Pontificia Universidad de México, stayed open until 1867 when it was shut down and higher education were passed to national schools. At the same time, in 1881, the National Preparatory School was founded based on positivist ideas to prepare young boys for five years after finishing six years of primary school for university studies. Now we are coming to our main subject of interest, revolution, university, and state-making in Mexico between 1910 and 1929. The time limits <clears throat> chosen here are based on the following reasons. In 1910, the Mexican Revolution began in November, and two months earlier, the National University of Mexico was founded. In 1929, first of all, the National Revolutionary Party was founded, which maintained itself in power until the year 2000 and gave certain stability to the subsequent governments in the country. Secondly, the university became autonomous in 1929 by a general, new general law and began the process of becoming a modern university required by law to do teaching, research, and cultural extension. What can a government emerging from a popular revolution do with an institution 
born with a clearly elitist profile in a country with an illiteracy rate of 85% and with the urgent task to, uh, of national reconstruction. I think this is the question that should be answered here. In Mexico, as in the other Latin American countries, the national history and the history of universities have always been interwoven. The abandonment of the pheasant masses and enormous concentration of lands in the hand of a few landowners, in addition to the indifference of Porfirio Diaz government and the demand of the most modern sectors of the bourgeoisie, resulting from its boost to the economy and the infrastructure, led to national discontent that permitted the outbreak of the revolution in November of 1910. The following years were characterized by an armed struggle carried out by a revolutionary army, you see it here, and the generals of the North support, uh, supporting by, <coughs> supported by popular strongmen like Francisco Villa in the North and Emiliano Zapata in central Mexico, although at the beginning limited to certain rural areas, but in 1916 it has encompassed the greater part of the country. This military conflict considerably worsened the situation of education in the country at all levels. And the national universities struggled to stay open during those early years. The first years of the university coincide with the first years of the armed struggle of the revolution. While the revolutionary struggle was occurring in several regions of the country, the university community and its environment enjoyed almost Inter uninterrupted peace. Nevertheless, the university, in the university, the political problems of the times were reflected, and little by little, the situation worsened due to the lack of plans, of continu continuity of the authorities, and of economic resources. <coughs> the political triumph of the ideas of the revolution did not mean the immediate transformation into social reality or political institutions. The social, political, legal, and cultural structures of the pre-revolution remained in touch. Among the university teachers and students, there were few that perceived the importance of the fact of revolution. That is what Connor said. Revolution, uh, um, university students not always, always making the revolution. They remained in those early years at the margin of the social movement. In reality, it involved the promotion of liberal professions. The professor had the task of forming learned people and educated professionals unrelated to the events of revolution. From 1910 to 1914, we can speak of a period of resistance of the university to recognize, uh, to recognize the events of the revolution. The professors, due of their social extraction and their education, were eminently conservative. On April 9, 1911, Antonio Caso, he was a famous um, uh, philosophy professor, pub published an article in Revista de Revistas <coughs> related to a dispute with Augustine Aragon. He was one of a, a very famous positivist professor in which he asserts that the National University is on the road to be becoming a coherent institution whose organizational autonomy would preserve it 
from the political changes, changes that were taking place. They would not affect the regular progress of higher education. The students that attended the university were a privileged minority. Of the 15.2 million Mexicans counted in the census of 1910, more than 80% were illiterate. That same year, 51 new students were enrolled in School of Law, which is 0.0003% of the total population. Those young people were sons of upper middle classes, uh, of professionals or, or successful businessmen who had the means to pay for their son's education. The new university institu uh, institution was characterized by the incorporation without modifications of the national schools, where professional learning had been provided in the second half of the 19th century in the absence of a university by the incorporation of the National Preparatory School and the creation of a higher studies school. The founding of the National University of Mexico in September 1910 had been part of the celebration of 100 years of independence of the country, and thus the dream of Justo Sierra, Secretary of Public Instruction in this era, had been, uh, who had struggled since 1880 as a representative for the founding of a university in Mexico became a reality. Finally, it is founded as an institution of the government. The organization law of the new institution permits the intrusion of the state through the Ministry of Public Instruction, although the president. The task of the new institution would be to provide in its higher elements the work of national education, as it said in Article 1. And in Article 8, Section 3, it is mentioned that the university board is responsible for organizing the university extension through the approval of the Ministry of Public Instruction and Fine Arts. In this way, the functions of the new national university were defined, teaching and cultural extension. There were no research. The new constitution of 1970 put an end to the years of the armed struggle and defined with some clarity the political plan of the new revolutionary state. The constitution of Querétaro formed the basis of the new system, characterized by the conciliation of the different social classes and their submission to a strong paternalistic state. The figure of the president of the republic was the center of the new political organization, in spite of the divergent opinions of the different political groups in the Constitu Constitutional Convention, all shared the commitment to political modernization that de facto required that the central state perform a decisive role in a period of economic dislocation and political disturbances in which the state had been destroyed and the capitalist class national forum temporarily disorganized and dispossessed. The conciliation of classes would be achieved through urgent social reforms that included the distribution of land, the improvement of labor conditions, the definitive recognition of labor organizations, and a basic um, compulsory education free and secular of all, for all Mexicans. 
These social demands were materialized in Article 327 and 123 of the Constitution. The monopoly of education in hands of the revolution government defined in Article, in Article 3 was so important because the influence of Catholic Church openly allied with the forces of the Ancien Regime threatened the incipient uh, institutionalization of the new state and the modernization of society. The new law became the guiding principle of the ideological system in gestation. Its most important component was the nationalism that became an instrument of struggle of the revolutionary governments. As a basic principle, it determined that the ownership of lands, waters, minerals, and territorial seas belonged to the nation, which had the right to transfer ownership of them to private parties. Most important will, uh, will be nationalism in the ideological aspect expressed in the search for a national culture that encompasses basic education passing through the university to the creation of a national art. In 1917, the ideas of university autonomy were revived, which had been pre present since at last 1880, as a result of the passage of the new constitution, which eliminates the mystery, ministry of public instruction in which the university department depended. According to this new provision, the university would be, depend in the future directly on the federal executive branch, while education became a responsibility of federal states. The university professors and students had presented from the beginning drafts of uh, university autonomy, above all in periods of greater conflicts between, between university and the government, in order to permit the new institution to develop independently. Such as also in 1917, they presented a memorial to the Chamber of Deputies asking for a complete independence of university. By 1917, the relations between university and the new revolutionary state had already changed. We can speak of a period of assimilation of the, uh, of the revolutionary movement. Javier Garcia Dego says the university was born with the boat and traditionalism of Porfirio Diaz era with the uncertainty that provoked the downfall of positivism and the emergence of the new spiritualist currents with the social conscience that revolutionary struggle imposed on it and with the impetus of the optimism of the initiation of the national reconstruction. The constitutionalists openly absorbed officers and professors of law school who left their academic task for a time. With the government of General Alvaro Obregón, that this is from 1920 to 1924, the institutionalization of Mexican Revolution began, and with that, the stalemate in education matters, the hesitation, doubts, and tentative efforts ended. The next four years, the years of the eagle, like says a book of a French colleague of mine, Claude Frey, are the years dominated by José Vasconcelos. First, during one year as rector of the university, he had a global vision of the problems that afflicted education in Mexico. <clears throat> Vasconcelos saw with great clarity the mul multiple aspects of Mexican problem. Indigenous education in order to assimilate the marginal population 
rural education to improve the standards of living in the Mexican countryside, technical education to elevate that of the cities, creation of libraries, publication of popular books, popularization of the culture. He knew that the most important aspect would be the founding of institutions that could lead to a balanced development of, of the educational system and unification of the contents of teaching in order to lead to national unity. And nevertheless, his primary interest at that time was the literacy of the people of Mexico and the creation of the Ministry of Public Education through an amendment of the Constitution. From the university and among on, uh, onto the legal and uh, institutional structure, he organized a literacy campaign that would encompass the entire country and that would have undertoned of a secular crusade in, for, in favor of the Mexican people. Although the, the results of the literacy uh, campaign were not so immediate as the rector hoped for, it had an important effect on the government of Alvaro Obregón, who thereby won the confidence of the Mexican people, who were convinced that the gains in education that had been promised by the revolutionary strongmen were, was becoming a reality. What happened then with the university in that year when it had a rector that uh, was much more than that, and who greatly surpasses with his impetus and vision the limits of this disorganized institution. His work as rector of the National University consisted of integrating the university community into the revolutionary process through an educational crusade for literacy announced from his inauguration as rector. From that moment, he made very clear that he did not come to work for the university, but rather that he asked the university to work for the people of Mexico. He wanted the university to open up to the outside and became a source of ideas and useful suggestions for the country. For that purpose, the great merit of Vasconcelos as rector was having woken up in such a short time, he only was one year rector and three years Secretary of Education, um, the social vocation of professors and students who became organizers of the army of literacy educators throughout the country. At the same time, they collaborated with the University Extension Department, founded in 1922, which channeled a large part of the efforts of the university towards the population in general through conferences, concerts, classes in civic education, Mexican history, and general history. Since Vasconcelos has a very clear idea about the failing, failings of the National University, born in the era of Perferia Diaz, with many problems rooted in the events of the revolution and lacking its own profile and even its own building, because it was divided among uh, colonial buildings in the center of Mexico City, some still without electricity, he began with a maelstrom of reforms at all levels. The newspapers of the period reported news every day referring, referring to the reforms in the National University. Um, however, many of these academic reforms were revoked or not put into practice, and Vasconcelos himself violated them in case of his friends. In short, 
They were ephemeral reforms, and the National University was still far from being a modern university. It can be asserted that Vasconcelos wanted a university interested in resolving the urgent social, political, economic, and cultural problems of Mexico. The country urgently needed technicians for its development and reconstruction, not a university that would form professionals capable of resolving more complex scientific problems. Scientific research was not a required, a required task of the university until 1929. Thus, we continued with an institution of higher education dedicated only to teaching and this as a dissemination of culture. In this regard, it has to be understood that Vasconcelos reinforced the humanities and, according to Garcia Diego, due to the philosophical creed of Vasconcelos himself, to the erroneous belief of the revolutionaries consisting in identifying any scientific knowledge with positivism and therefore with the Porfirio Diaz era and to the priority given to basic education and construction of a national post-revolutionary culture. Another legacy of the rectorship of uh, Vasconcelos is the anti-scientific attitude that dominated the National University for two decades. After a political campaign to convince the different levels of government of the value of a centralized institution for education, Vasconcelos' initiative became a reality in 1921, and the Ministry of Public Education was created with federal jurisdiction to coordinate all the educational activities in the country, including the universities, and Vasconcelos would be its first head. Alvaro Obregón granted this new agency an unprecedented budget which made education the most important task of the government. In 1922, the percentage spent on education with respect to total revenue of the federal government was 12.9%. And, and, and in 1923, it was 15%. Vasconcelos was sure that for Mexico, the only road to achieve the status of a modern capitalist nation was to incorporate into the Mexican people, and especially the indigenous people, modern civilization. Education seemed the appropriate means for doing this. For this purpose, the Mexico, uh, Mexico of the future, in the ideas of Vasconcelos, would be composed of mixed-race people, most of them middle class, with a Mexican culture that would apply to everyone equally. This would involve the rediscovery of its indigenous and Spanish roots and the universal culture in the history of Mexico. In the Ministry of Public Education, Vasconcelos continued uh, with the educational plan for Mexico, acting as if he had never ceased to be a university rector, which led to many conflicts with the three three rectors in the following three years. The spirit of the educational plan of Vasconcelos remained alive for many years in education in Mexico and in the university. However, the contents of the teaching changed with the subsequent governments. At the end of 1924, General Plutarco Elias Calles were elected president of Mexico. He represented at that time the political vanguard. He would found many of the institutions of modern Mexico. He seemed to be 
the man indicated for leaving the past behind. His government focused its policy on economic reconstruction of the country and greater control of the state of the different groups of society. Education was considered part of the political economy and would contribute as an ideological basis to the consolidation of the, national, of the revolutionary state. Moises Sainz, Assistant Secretary of Public Education, thought up a new educational plan. After the Christian humanism of Vasconcelos fold, followed the Protestant North American pragmatism. Science used the educational institutions created for Vasconcelos, expanded them, created new ones, but his educational plan was different. Now education would be limited to instruction that would serve Mexicans in order to better perform their jobs and increase their standing of life. For this purpose, purpose, basic education continued to be of primary interest. In, ad in addition, in 1925, an independent secondary school was created with the first three schools of the preparatory school separate from higher education in order to provide an education appropriate for technicians and mid-level government employees. The ultimate purpose of this great ed educational effort was, as it has been in prior times, to achieve national university learning to live and to work. He said, we, had a, we have the urgent need to integrate our country, to create this community of interests, of idols and of sentiments, which is called patriotism. In each rural school, we have, if not the worship of the flag, then the religion of the flag, which is, so, which is to say we procure that the children know it, respect it and love it, and we are creating with them a national mentality. In the plan of Moises Science, the educational ideas of John Dewey, the practical experiences of the United States, and the influence of Protestantism were mixed together. The assistant secretary, uh, secretary like Vasconcelos before him, was convinced that the problem of Mexican underdevelopment resided in the character the attitudes and the behavior of its inhabitants, which would be changed with an adequate education. According to the vision of Moise Science, Mexicans would thereby become rich, orderly, responsible, and undistressed, and not, as Vasconcelos wanted, which was cultured assets and conquerors of the best of universal culture. Therefore, for Vasconcelos, education was inseparate from reading and from artistic man manifestations, while for my science, education would reach children through, through teachers and artistic activities should be replaced for sports activities. Within this plan, it was difficult to find a place for university, and thus the relations between the National University and the government began to become strained. In the first months of the new administration, the university was characterized as something exotic in our midst or as superfluous in our educational and social organization. There have also been those who think that the university has not been contributing as it should to resolving the problems of Mexico and that it needs to complete change direction. 
On the other hand, the majority of the university students were followers of José Vasconcelos, and they looked with some disdain on the pragmatic ideas of the new ideology of Mexican education. Lacking the brilliance and charisma of Vasconcelos, the new rector, Alfonso Brunella, nevertheless responded to the expectations of the government with a broad university extension program and with a group of academics, academic and administrative reforms for the university, such that one year later, the Secretary of Public Education said, and moved by the same sentiment of responsibility and duty, I can now say publicly that the National University was responded to our desires and to our confidence with a frank push to reach out to the people. The reorganization of the extension department shows uh, um, the scope and diversity with work achieved without uh, between 25 and 28. Section of conferences, section of university extensions for feminine culture, section of centers of university extensions, section of popular festivals, section of radio concerts, children's section, section of social service and all these activities. In all these activities, the universities, professors, students and rectors participated. But from the beginning, there were also critical opinions regarding the extension work of the university, like that of the philosopher Samuel Ramos. He said, we declare resolutely that the university cannot be responsible for the edu education of the people, which is to say the proletariat. A practical cooperation that from a sentimental point of view attracts many supporters also does not respond to the university, which is not a charity or a center for social attention, but rather an association intended for research and study. But the rector was interested in good relations with the government and demonstrating through effective teaching and broad a broad cultural extension plan that the National University would form part of the ideological plan of the Mexican state. As an example of the interior life of a department in those years, from 24 to 28, we have chosen the Faculty of Law, the most important of the National University of those days, and which can be characterized as follows. There were enormous growth in the enrollment of students, which went from 397 in 1924 to 841 in 1929, the great majority men. In 1924, there were two women enrolled in the faculty. In 1925, five. In 1927, 10. And in 1929, 32 women. With this increase of students, it became obvious that it was necessary to hire new teachers. But the university continued without full-time professors. The teachers available were primarily young people who arrived with new ideas and new convictions, teaching a class in the university and working outside as lawyers. The second. There were years with few changes in the course of studies of faculty. Third, faculty of law was the only school at the university where the reform of the regulation of the examinations 
which since 1925 had substituted throughout the university oral examination with written examination three times a year, was not applied. This problem resulted in 1929 in the student strike involving all the higher education students of Mexico City. Four, the participation of the members of the faculty, teachers, students in the cultural extension program of Director Alfonso Proneza was very important. The faculty, five, the faculty was the political center of the university. Its professors were largely members of the post-revolutionary governments and its students were student leaders nationally. Six, also the formulation of the draft laws pushed by the government of Calles, the help of the Faculty of Law was sought. Seven, the organization of the university students reached national dimensions in those years. The leaders of the Federation and later on the Mexican Students' Confederation were students of Faculty of Law, who later organized the strike movement in 29. Eight, these years of great increase in the student population and, and at the same time of very limited resources to address the needs of the school and faculties required the rector, the rector to reduce salaries, decrease the paid academic personnel, and those who charged, charged by the hour and hire new professors without salary. Nine, together with the growth in enrollment, the number of law degrees issued by the National University increases from 22 in 1921 to 77 in 1926. The first female lawyer of the university graduated in 1920 and the next two in 1931. After the assassination of General Alvaro Obregón in July 1928, candidate for the presidency of the Republic for a second term, um, when the four-year term, uh, four term of President Plutarco Elias Calles was ended, the country entered in a period of instability, saved only by the figure of Calles, the strong man of the revolution. The tasks of the moment were to save the country from chaos, from a serial political crisis. Emilio Portesil was appointed as interim president until February, February 5, 1930. Preparations for the Carretero Convention were begun for the funding, founding of the National Revolutionary Party, Partido Nacional Revolucionario. And with that, the designation of their candidate for the future elections. The founding of a political party that will centralize power disseminated throughout the entire country in hands of local strongmen of the revolution was extremely important in order to substitute the weaknesses of a personalist regime with a system of domination capable of consolidating the definite triumph of the revolutionary group. In January 1929, the Declaration of Principles and the Action Plan appeared, and on March 4, Pascual Ortiz Rubio was elected as candidate for the new party of the new party for the election of November of that year. In this situation, already so difficult, emerges the last armed struggle of the revolution, headed by General Escobar, which did not last more than a month, and the negotiations of the government with the Vatican for mediation of the U.S. ambassador 
in order to terminate the Cristero War, an extremely violent confrontation between the government of Cayes and the Catholic Church since 1926, which had divided the population and the group in power. In June 1929, this war was declared over. Furthermore, the student unions were occupied in organizing the electoral uh, campaign of José Vasconcelos, candidate for the National Anti-Re-Election -re Party to the presidency of the, of the Republic, who was able to mobilize a broad sector of students, intellectuals, teachers, professionals, and women with significant favor, since he enjoyed much popularity from previous years. However, the lost, he lost the election on November, November 17, 1929, and the um, Revolutionary Party consolidated itself as a political force that began to forge the political institutions and the modernization of the country. Also in the National University, we find ourselves in a difficult situation in the early months of 1929. The higher education institution of great importance for the new middle classes to maintain, in order to maintain its social status, of great, um, had been relegated out of the interests of the revolutionary governments, which were interested in ele elevating the educational level of the people through basic education. The effervescence of the political parties as a result of the presidential succession, which evoked in the students a great interest in national and educational problems. The strength of the students' organization at all levels, the problem of lack of discipline and of order in the Faculty of Law for some time, and now as a detonator of the students' movement in 29, the application of two pendant reforms, the system of examination in the Faculty of Law and the new course plan for three years instead of two in the preparatory school. Not finding in the authorities any resonance for their opposition to the reforms, the students declared a strike on May 5 and closed the buildings of the National University. In these first years, a days of the strike, a solution to the conflict was far away. The students insisted with protests and the authorities responded with corrective measures and accusing the students of having political motives for the strike and supporting the election campaign of José Vasconcelos. On May 16, the university, the university board made a half-baked offer to the students which were rejected. On May 23, this conflict culminated with a protest of 10,000 students in the central plaza of Mexico City and a violent confrontation with police and firefighters. After this, the students sent their petitions in writing to the head of the federal district, Manuel Puig Casauang, who acted as mediator between the students and the president of the republic. On the following day, President Emilio Cuportesil ordered the withdrawal of the police forces from around the university the delivery of the university buildings to the students, the release of the students detained, and he invited the students to a dialogue. The president then offered university autonomy to the students, knowing that then he would not have to address the demands of the students, and in the future the university would have to resolve its problems alone. Furthermore, 
in addition to the fact that this government would have the merit of having granted university autonomy, it would limit it according to its wishes and would prevent the student strike from being handled by Vasconcelos supporters. The students accepted this order, this offer, the Chamber of Deputies approved the new law, and on June 10, 1929, the organizational law of the National University of Mexico Autonomous was passed. The Mexican authority of the university was the university board, composed of the rector, the secretary of the university, the directors of the faculty, schools, and university institutions as ex officio members. The, the elected members of the board would, uh, be, uh, would be two professors of each faculty and school, two male students and one female student as delegates of the Students' Federation, and one delegate of the Ministry of Public Education only with informational voice. The, uh, the relations between university and state remained regulated by this incomplete university. The new organizational law continues to be ambiguous. The university was autonomous, but the government controls it. It is subsidized by the students' base for maintaining the institution with their money. Added as a new function of the university is to organize scientific research on national problems. As we have seen here, the academic development of National University of Mexico was very difficult during the first years for the following reasons. One, the taint of Porfirio Diaz regime in its foundings. Two, the influence of positivism in its. Three, because the organizational law of 1910 did not define with sufficient precision the university structure and there were no other legal regulations. Four, the swing of revolutionary politics at the beginning and the instability that the post-revolutionary governments and their insistence in basic education for the people of Mexico produced. Five, insufficient budget and infrastructure. Six, impermanence of the academic staff and the academic plans. The relations between the university and the government changed, changed with the university autonomy of 1929. The student movement had made manifest the importance of the university for the future development of Mexico. Since then, and until today, in spite of autonomy, the relations between National University of Mexico and the different governments are very complicated. We hope you enjoyed this History Hub podcast. You can find many more podcasts at historyhub.ie forward slash podcasts.